This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Good morning, everyone. We're going to go ahead and get started. Uh, we do have one more panel member, one of our students who will be joining us shortly. Um, she is uh, very close um, to campus, and as soon as she um, comes in, she'll be joining us. So um, when she gets here, we'll, we will continue with her introduction. But I just want to start off by saying thank you all for coming today. Um, this is one of the events that is part of our Arab Heritage Month celebrations here at Moraine Valley Community College. Um, and all of us here on the panel actually sit on the committee for Arab Heritage Month. It's an annual month of events that takes place here, sponsored by the Diversity Task Force at Moraine Valley Community College. And we thought that it was important to highlight um, and educate our campus and community a little bit more about Arab women. And the reason why we felt that way is because many times as Arab women, we're approached with various questions about being Arab or the Arab culture or about being Muslim women. And we thought, why not host a panel and talk about some of these issues a little bit more? Um, one thing I do want to make clear, though, however, is that um, these are personal perspectives and personal opinions that are stated today. And by no means is anyone on the panel trying to represent all Arab women or all Muslim women um, at all because you can leave here today and find various opinions um, on campus and outside Moraine Valley and throughout the country and throughout the world um, from Arab women that may vary um, from those of our panelists today um, or that may be the same as our panelists today. So it really depends who you talk to. Everyone has their own personal experiences that they draw from, and today we'll be hearing about some of the personal experiences of our panel members. Now, I do want to also say a couple of things about um, the women that are here, my colleagues on the panel and also our students, is that um, one thing I can say for sure that all of them are um, very proud Arab women. Uh, they are... Um, very proud of the culture that they were raised with, and they're very um, excited about sharing some of that with you today. Um, I give them a lot of credit for um, taking the time out and also making the effort to educate others about what it means to be an Arab woman. Um, it doesn't always come easy to come in front of a large number of people and sit on a panel to discuss such personal things like your culture and identity and how you were raised and how um, your parents instilled certain values in you. So I do want to say thank you and want to actually start off with a round of applause for them. <laughs> so I'm going to introduce each one of our panelists and then we're going to jump right into um, the questions that I have for them. And then we'll leave a few minutes at the end um, for questions from our audience as well. So Suzanne Nasser, who's um, to the right of me, earned her Bachelor's of Arts degree in Social Work from the University of Illinois in Chicago at the James Adams College of Social Work, and also her Master's degree in Social Work from University of Michigan in Ann Arbor. She's a counselor in our, career, our Counseling and Career Development Department, and she's been married for seven years and is also the proud mother of two beautiful little girls, Yara and Lana. Suzanne was born in Elbira, Palestine, and she identifies herself as a Palestinian Arab-American Muslim woman. Sundos Maddy, who's right next to Suzanne, 
has earned her Bachelor's of Arts in Business Marketing from NIU and also has an MBA from Keller Graduate School of Management as well as a Master's Degree in Education Technology from DeVry University. She's an academic advisor in the Academic Advising Office here on campus. Um, and she's also a new bride, she just got married a few weeks ago to Mr. Colin McCarthy. <laughs> and she was born in Winfield, Illinois. She identifies as a Palestinian or Arab American. Saha Abu Nijma, my colleague and also my office mate, we share an office. <laughs> she is an ELL specialist here in the Office of Multicultural Student Affairs. She earned her Associate of Science degree here at Moraine Valley Community College and her BS degree in Mathematics from University of Illinois at Chicago. She's been married for four years and is a proud mommy of baby Zena. Mm -hmm. She was born in Bidjala, Palestine, and she identifies as Palian because she's half Palestinian, half Italian. <laughs> and then we also have Deanna Zayed, who's part of our panel. Um, she's actually working towards entering the radiological technology program here at Moraine Valley. I see you in the back. Come on up. <laughs> we have a seat for you. She was born in Chicago. Her parents are both from Palestine, and she is one of seven children. She attended high school in Palestine and played various sports throughout high school, and she's also currently the vice president of the Arab Student Union here on campus. I'd like to... Welcome, Reem, who joined our panel as well today. Um, she's also a student here at Moraine Valley. She previously attended Richards High School and is planning on transferring to Governor State University to complete her degree in nursing. Um, she's 21 years old. She ran track for um, four years in high school, and she enjoys playing basketball and football and was born here in Chicago. She is one of eight children. Her mother is Palestinian, and her father is actually from Chechnya and she identifies as an Arab American. Now I just realized that I didn't actually formally introduce myself. Uh, my name is Nina Shoman Dejani. I am an ELL specialist here on campus. I work in multicultural student affairs, and I also teach here on campus. I'm currently teaching um, history of the Middle East um, and College 101, and I've also taught in the intensive English language um, program. Um, I'm also of Palestinian descent. I was born and raised in California, I've actually only been in um, the Chicago area for about six years, and I'm the proud mommy of two little ones, um, my daughter Mona and my son Salahuddin. And so um, with the women here today, I'll chime in here and there about my own personal experiences as well. Um, and I would, again, like to thank all of you for participating. Okay. So one of the questions that I wanted to discuss today um, among our panelists is, as Arab Americans, can you reflect a little bit about how you have maintained your Arab identity as you grew up surrounded by American culture? So think about how you've maintained your Arab identity as well as growing up in an environment filled with American culture. Um, I'll go ahead and start. Can you guys hear me? I can't tell if the mic is on. All right, there we go. So as Nina stated in her introduction, you know, I do identify as um, an Arab American Muslim woman. And, you know, I think I do so for a couple of reasons. Um, I think for me it would be a big mistake to forget um, where I come from and who I am. Um, I think losing a part of our identity is like losing a part of ourself. And 
I, I simply refuse to um, sever from my roots and from my past. Um, my identity defines me, right? I mean, it's a part of my character. And um, so for me, I think I really had no choice in the matter, you know. I grew up in a home where my parents spoke to me in Arabic. Um, I was uh, born in Palestine but came here at a very young age. Um, I was raised in the Chicago Lawn area until about the age of 10 or 11 and then moved right here to Palos Hills. And both areas, I think, had a very heavy concentration of Arabs. Um, I was, um, my second home was the Arab American Community Center. For those of you that aren't familiar with it, it is located still in the Chicago Lawn area. And that was where I learned how to read and write Arabic. Um, it's where I learned about the history of my people. It's where I uh, learned how to dance the traditional Palestinian folkloric dance troupe, uh, dance dances. And in fact, uh, for many years, I was part of Al Mashal, which is a Palestinian dance troupe. And we performed um, all across the United States and in Canada, um, different Palestinian uh, traditional forms of dance. Um, I was inundated with the politics of the Middle East, you know. Um, I remember from a very young age, you know, my parents would pack us up um, and, and take us to the streets of downtown Chicago where we would uh, protest and rally the injustices going on in the Middle East, whether it was the Israeli occupation of the Palestinian people or the wars of Iraq. Um, and so I was constantly being reminded um, of who I was as an Arab, who I was as a Palestinian. And um, so for me, it, it really provides a sense of direction. These experiences really gave meaning to my life, and it gave me a sense of focus. Uh, I'll go next. Um, my experiences were a little bit different than Suzanne's, uh, so I, I uh, like to kind of reflect on that. Can everybody hear me okay? No? Can you hear me now? Oh, no. There you go. <laughs> oh, well, no. Um, my experiences were a little bit different. Um, although some similarities, we did speak Arabic in the home. Um, we did, you know, do a lot of Middle Eastern and cultural things. But our focus in our home wasn't so much the culture. I grew up in West Chicago. And for those of you who don't know, that's north of Naperville. Um, there were no other Middle Eastern people where... <laughs> where I was at, so um, I definitely felt uh, a little out of place where I was at, but I never really understood why. Uh, the, the culture um, wasn't necessarily explained. It was more a focus on we're Muslim, and this is, you know, I went to Sunday school, um, learned, you know, the Quran, learned, you know, what, um, what it meant to be Muslim, but I didn't understand when I was younger what it meant to be Arab until I got a little bit older, understood where Palestine really was. <laughs> Um, including in our hearts, but um, but understanding that as I I grew older, taking more and embracing more of our heritage and our culture and where we come from, and it means a lot to me uh, to know that um, there's so many people out there that are you know when I came to Palos, I moved here about four years ago. And when I see how the activity is on this campus and the diversity, I know I would have grown up so much different here. Not that I regret the, the experiences that I had growing up. I think it defined who I was being in that situation and needing to learn from other cultures 
and having to fight and look for that information on my own to really understand where I was from. Um, so in terms of you know how culture was defined in, in my family, yeah, we had some friends, we had the language, um, but I feel like religion was definitely more of a focus growing up, and now for, for me it's both and I get to experience that thankfully on this campus and knowing so many more Palestinians and Arabs that are in my life and as my friends. Mm -hmm. Is there anyone else that would like to comment on that yeah, question? Fine. You guys hear me? Yeah. Okay. Um, I have a little different perspective because I was born in Palestine like Nina said and then I came here at the age of four and then age of nine I returned back to Palestine. So I grew up in Palestine, finished high school and then returned here. Um, it's been seven years that I've been here now, so in these seven years, um, the best way I've been trying to maintain this identity um, is by keeping a relationship with my Arab community um, and relationship with my family and friends, um, any events that I could attend, you know, or gatherings. Um, that's the best way that we could keep this, and especially here at Moraine Valley, we have a large group of uh, Arabs, <laughs> and um, so that's pretty much my side of the story, yeah. Um, okay. Um, I grew I grew up in Chicago. Um, I stayed here until I was 12 years old, and my dad kind of noticed that we did not know anything about our culture or about our religion. So decided to ship all his seven kids plus my mom and dad uh, overseas. I can honestly say it was hard for me, but did it benefit me? It did in many ways because I realize who I am as a person. Um, I spent seven years overseas. Um, some of them were difficult because it was a war zone over there. Um, I went to an all-girl school. They taught me about my religion, my culture, everything. I did not know how to speak one word um, in Arabic at all. So my dad literally got a tutor to teach me how to speak and read and everything. So when I started to read the Quran, I noticed like I you know, it, it kind of made me understand who I am. Because as a child growing up, you really don't know who you are until you start becoming a teenager, you're finding yourself. So um, I can honestly say, like, the best thing that my dad did for us is send us overseas because it made me realize who I am and thankful for who I am. So um, I just like to say that our culture and our religion is, like, something beautiful like everyone has their religion everyone has their culture but when you go back to your root and find out what you really are it's it really opens your eyes to like a new start a new beginning because I could honestly say those seven years that I spent overseas changed me completely I had no clue about what my religion was what my culture was what the scarf even meant but when I went overseas and like realized what everything is it, it just changed me as a person and I believe it made me a better person I know you guys can hear me, right? Okay. <laughs> um, I grew up in Chicago on the north side. So uh, the community there is a lot different than it is now. It's predominantly a white community right now. But back then it was very, um, it was full of Arabs. And I went to an all-Arab school every Sunday um, called MCC, the community center up, up north. And, you know, every the neighborhood that I, w I lived in was um, predominantly Arab and I was so comfortable in my own skin and uh, I, I embraced my culture, my religion, I learned a lot about who I was and, and the, how my, you know, why my family was teaching me certain things about our culture and I, going to that school I realized, you know, and living in that neighborhood, I embraced it. 
But um, after eight years living here, I moved to North Carolina. And I lived in Raleigh for about nine years. And the school that I went to was predominantly all white American. And it was such a shock for me because um, I did not wear the scarf until, you know, maybe high school. But at that time, you know, uh, people noticed that I was different. And I spoke different. I had an accent, you know, um, an Arab accent because, you know, learning the language and everything. uh, And I just was not comfortable. And I didn't know why. And I realized, you know, going through those years and, uh, and uh, the, the school that I went to in North Carolina, you know, it made me more appreciative of my own religion, my culture, because I realized, you know, coming from such a diverse neighborhood where I lived and then going to a neighborhood that was um, strictly just one race and, you know, everybody has their own, you know, insight on everything and everybody was, it, it just seemed like it was, like I had to conform to that and it just wasn't comfortable for me, so... Um, coming back here, it made me, it really made me realize, you know, um, how beautiful our religion and our culture is because, you know, it, it, being in such a, you know, predominantly, uh, white school, people don't get it. They just don't get, you know, where you're coming from and, and why do you speak that way and why do you dress that way and, um, you know, why are you in our neighborhood and stuff like that. So it, it really opens your eyes to, to have such a culture shock from living in, in one area to a, to the next, that's like you know, it's really different and it's eye-opening. Thank you. So you can see already that the experiences of our panel members have varied depending on where they grew up, what type of family environment they had, and I want to talk a little bit about um, how life may or may not have changed for us after September 11th, because um, the reality is for Arab Americans living in this country. Um, regardless of where you grew up, like I mentioned before, I grew up in California. Some of our panelists here grew up um, in Chicago. Um, September 11th did change our life, and it affected us in ways that um, people don't always understand because all of a sudden there was um, a target um, on the Arab American community and questions that surrounded them and suspicions that I can't say they didn't previously exist because 9-11 may have changed some things, but there was obviously, um, you know, rhetoric about terrorism and Arabs and Muslims um, prior to 9-11. However, some of us were actually working um, on our degrees at that time, and we were in college, and um, September 11th actually gave us an opportunity to have that dialogue with people on campus and in the community and educate people about who Arabs and Muslims really are and what they represent. Um, But there are others that endured very negative um, repercussions of um, the events from 9-11 here in our community. So I actually want to ask our panel members um, if you can reflect on a time um, post 9-11, if there was any um, time that you felt that you were treated differently or that um, those events directly affected um, your life. Um, so we'll just go down, and anybody that would like to comment on this, um, feel free to do so. You know, I some of you might be pretty young in terms of remembering maybe the details of September 11th, but for me, if I just sit back and close my eyes, I remember it like it was yesterday. You know, I was, uh, it was my first or second week at the University of Michigan in Ann, in Ann Arbor where I was working on my master's degree in social work. I was sitting in one of my graduate level social work classes, and uh, we took our 15-minute break. I think it was like a three-hour class. 
and this rambunctious student walks in during break and she says, the Twin Towers are down. I, I get emotional just thinking about it right now, right? I'm like reliving it. Um, they think it was the Arabs. They think the Arabs took those planes and, and, and took down the Twin Towers. And I remember sitting there in my seat and I feel myself getting smaller. I feel myself melting. You know, I feel myself just shrinking in my chair and wanting to just bust out of that classroom and go call my family. And um, it was really weird. You know, you think in social work, it's the platform to discuss these things, right? Social justice issues, things like that. My instructor didn't address it at the time. And um, I just remember thinking, oh, please, God, please let the reports be false. Please don't let it be Arabs. Please, right? So I leave class and I go and, 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 and I call my parents and I said, Dad, what the heck is going on? How are you guys? What's happening? Is this, is this true? And he says to me, we miss you. We miss you. You know, your mom is, um, she's cooking chicken tonight and we wish you were here. And I said, Dad, what's going on? He didn't want to talk about it. He was afraid, right? He was afraid. He, did, he didn't know the details of what was going on yet. You know, like I said, I grew up in the Arab American Community Center. My parents played a very key role as members of the Arab community. And so there was this fear already, you know, within hours of the incident of what's going to happen to us and to members of our community. And so I, I took a minute and I reflected on what was going on with him on the other end of the phone. And I said, okay, I better shut my mouth. Um, I was new to the campus. It was my first time being away from home. And for some of you that are Arab in the, in the, in the audience and some of our panelists, we know that it's not um, always easy for Arab women to leave um, their homes and to go study um, out of state, right? So that was a big deal. And it was my, you know, I was 23 maybe years old, my first time away from home, didn't know many people on campus, and I felt so isolated. I felt so afraid and so alone. Um, luckily enough for me, I lived in the Ecumenical Center, which was an international um, student housing building. And so members of my living community came from all over the world, right? Students who lived in different parts of Europe, different parts of Asia, different parts of everything, really. So there was some comfort in that. Um, but like Nina said, what it did for us on campus was it provided us for a platform to raise the consciousness of um, the student body and the faculty about who Arabs really are and how these actions don't define us and um, who we are as um, Muslims. So it turned out to be a little bit more of a positive experience and more of, a, again, a platform just to educate members of our campus community at that time. Oh. <laughs> That was uh, very powerful, by the way, because um, I think you made a few people tear up, including myself. But um, our experiences, I think, in my family since September 11th, um, being, sorry, can everybody hear me? <laughs> our experiences in, uh, after September 11th were a little different. It took, it took some time to realize um, how that was going to affect my family. Uh, and it's a confusing thing um, to understand being that I, I was in college at the same time too and I couldn't wrap my head around it for the life of me. Um, my mom, God bless her, she's, uh, she worked in a factory to try to um, help us become who we are and um, the mindset in a, in a factory at that time wasn't the best one which basically led to us moving you know, to Palos Heights because I wanted to get her out of that situation. So 
Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I mean, it, it had a, a big effect, but I think, again, just like Suzanne said, it was for the positive. I'm glad that we're here, and I'm glad that people are starting to understand who we are and who Palestinians are and who Arabs are and that we're not all terrorists. Um, I was I was overseas when 9/11 happened, so I didn't really know the effect that it was going to have on you know Muslims or Arabic people in general. Um, six months later, I came to the U.S. and that's when I realized like it hit me where I would get negative comments. I was um, you know anywhere I go till today, um, people would throw negative comments at me for wearing the scarf and saying. Um, you know, you terrorists and you guys did this to the U.S. I'm an American citizen. I'm just like you. I wouldn't do that. That's someone that did wrong doesn't mean that all of us do wrong also. Um, till today, my dad has, like, he's very afraid of me wearing the scarf. And it's a constant where he tells me, please take it off. I'm afraid. I'm afraid. Why are you afraid? I'm afraid someone's going to hurt you. Don't worry. I know who I am. I believe my religion as much as there's bad people in the world, there's good people in the world. And I feel like, I, again, I, saw, I say this over and over, but it does make me a stronger person. There was many people killed in 9-11, including Arab Muslims. So as much as everyone hurts, we hurt too. And it hurts us also knowing that, you know, it, it's, very, it's a t t touchy subject, but it hurts us to know that, like, we get picked on also. It's, this is like... We don't, we don't like anyone to get hurt. So the fact that people got hurt and everyone's getting blamed for it, the Arab Muslims and everyone, it's not right. Like, people did wrong. Yes, they did wrong. But you have to look at the good side. There's not, just because one person did something doesn't mean we're all that way. We believe in every, like, in our religion it tells us peace. We want peace. We want, you know, mercy. Be um, grateful. Be forgiving. So the fact that someone did something like this doesn't mean we're all like that. And that's just, that's just the only thing I want everyone to know is that we're not all alike. You have your good, you have your bad. Thank you. I'll say something really quick. You know, the, the word Muslim and the word Islam and the word Arab, you know, it's, it's so stigmatized. It's always connected to the word terrorism. It's always connected to the word, um, you know, a terrorist or 9-11. Um, and it's unfortunate that that has to be that way. Um, I, I was a little bit younger when, when I experienced 9-11. I was in sixth grade. Um, and I didn't understand it. I was in class and uh, so my yes uh, social science class, and I I didn't understand this uh, what was happening. The, the principal on the intercom was like everybody turned to this news station, and we all just stood silent. We watched the building, the the towers fall, and uh, nobody in class understood what was happening until I got home. I didn't understand the impact that it would have on our community as well. Um, being the only Arab, I was in North Carolina at the time. Being the only Arab in my neighborhood and in the whole school. Um, I didn't think it would be that big of a like a big of a deal until they started um, targeting or started saying that the Arabs were the ones that were responsible for the ter uh, terrorist attacks. And um, it wasn't until I got back to Chicago that I realized how how extensive the 9/11 uh, um, the impact of it was in uh, in the community that I was living in here in Chicago. Um, I would also get negative comments thrown at me. You know, I would, you know, take a run outside and have someone from their car just be like, oh, go back to your country, you know. And, uh, you know, even here in the high school that I went to, 
thank God, you know, I, I went to a high school that was predominantly Arab. Richards was almost 50% Arab, and I did feel comfortable. But there were some people who were very ignorant and would start saying some negative comments. And I remember back in eighth grade, you know, I had a very negative experience. Um, I got jumped for in, the, in an alley for for wearing, or not for wearing it, but for being an Arab Muslim. And, uh, you know, it was very unfortunate that people still have that mi- that state of mind where they associate Muslims, all Muslims, for for being terrorists, and it shouldn't be that way. Just because um, a certain pe- people in our in our religion, certain people in our religion, were so cold hearted to commit such an act, you know, it doesn't. You should not. I, I felt like you should not just you know say the whole mm-hmm. Arab community is the same way, mm-hmm. and um, hopefully people will open their eyes and 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 become a little bit more knowledgeable on, on the events of that day. Thank you, ladies, um, and. These repercussions of 9-11 have not ended. If any of you watched the nightly news last night, it was reported on every channel that there is um, a family that's actually suing a high school in Lake County for um, the beating of their son that happened at the high school. And now he, this has just happened in the last couple of days, um, he was beaten so badly he had to go to the hospital. He was jumped by several students at the high school um, who bullied him for being um, an Arab student and called him various uh, malicious names, and now he is suffering from brain injuries. Um, And so the parents um, are now suing the school district um, for lack of protection for their child. And um, this is something, unfortunately, that um, it doesn't only happen in the Arab community. Students are, you know, bullied throughout the country for various reasons, of course. Um, But because of the topic today, of course, we're discussing Arab students. we have various experiences, you know, based on our appearance. Sometimes um, those of us that don't wear the scarf don't endure the same ridicule that others may because they do wear the scarf. Um, there's many non-Muslims and non-Arabs that were targeted because they may have an Arab or Muslim appearance. Um, sometimes your name um, creates a target for you. My husband's name happens to be Osama, and that's a very popular Arab name. And um, by appearance, you really can't tell he's an Arab male, but when he goes to the airport, he tends to run into extra questioning and issues um, and becomes very defensive because he considers himself, a, you know, a proud Arab American from the south side of Chicago um, who's, who's a good citizen. So, again, depending on um, your background and experiences, it has varied post-September 11th. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Some of you touched a little bit on your experiences in college, and so I want to talk a little bit about um, education and um, family support for education because there seems to be this misconception just based on some of the questions that we have received in the past that um, Arab women um, are not educated or their families may not support them going to school or um, um, their you know, places in the home and you can actually look in the library today and see that um, we probably have more Arab women here on campus in college um, than possibly Arab males. Who knows? It might be 50-50. But there's a large amount of our community that, of course, is in college. Um, can you reflect a little bit on, you know, how much education means in your family? Is it something that you wanted to pursue, or is it something that your family encouraged you to, to pursue um, and this one, why don't we start with our students at the end, and then we'll make our way down. So, Reem, um can you start with that one? Absolutely. Um, education in, in my family, um, coming from my mom's side, her, her family is not really that educated. Um, 
high school was probably the only uh, where they cut off and um, they all have their high school diplomas but they never really continued their education from um, from that standpoint my mom would always kind of discourage me you know oh just stay home you don't have to go to college you don't have to um, pursue a, a career you know stay home and, and, and get married and it's it's so typical for her to say that, you know, because she, no one really in her family ever pursued a extensive, edu- edu- you know, educational process. But on my on my dad's side, my dad is uh, the opposite, very uh, into education, very into school. I mean, all my aunts and uncles on his side are, are scientists, uh, marine uh, marine biologists. You know, they are very, you know, into their education. They He pushed it on me. And it's very important because he's like, we have to break that, that mold that Arab women are in. You know, not all Arab women, um, sh- uh, you know, th- we, we're t- we, they tend to believe that we all need to stay home. We all need to get married, just, you know, have kids. And that's our role. That's our that's our role for Arab women. And it's not, you know, he wants us to break the mold that, you know, Arab women have the same potential as, as a man, Arab man. We can take on roles as uh, as um, as men do, and I see now you know society's changing. You know, men take on womenly roles; they're staying home with the kids. So it's good to see that. You know, but um, in, in our family, uh, education is very um, is is on my dad's side mostly. I I finally convinced my mom. You know, nursing is what I want to do. Um, it's what it's the career that I want to pursue, and uh, I she was like, you know what, go for it. And now she's like, every time I come home, she's like, oh look, it's nursery, you know, etc. So. Um, you know, it, 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 we kind of did break the mold, and I, I, I look at you know the college that I go to now, and I see so many Arab women here, and it, it just makes me proud to see that their their families have raised them the same way, and um, I'm very proud of that. Um, when I finished high school, honestly, I didn't think I wanted to go to college because I couldn't wait to be done with high school. But um, my dad would always tell me, I want something for you to fall back on. You never know. Tomorrow, what, what if you get married and you have kids and, God forbid, something happens to your husband or, um, you know, God forbid something happens, what are you going to do? Are you just going to sit there and say, oh, my God, what am I going to do? Somebody help me. He's like, no, you're supposed to get up and provide for yourself, provide for your family. Um, my dad supports me 100%. Also, I have five brothers. They support me. Um, every day when I come home, they make sure to tell me, do you have homework? Did you do anything? What did you do today? Um, so I'm very proud that they always push me. And I, every time I feel like I'm down, like, oh, my God, this is hard. I can't do this. I have my dad always, no, you could do this. You could do this. You could do it. He's like, I, I believe in you. So honestly, education, because my mom, I think she finished. I think, she, yeah, I think she finished high school. I'm not really sure. Uh, my mom died when I was young. So, um, But my dad would always tell me like the best thing for a woman is education and there is a verse in our Quran that says you know it it tells us to preach your children preach teach them teach them about the religion teach them take them to school so um, there is a verse that says um, I can't pinpoint it right now but it says teach your daughters before you teach your sons so education is a big deal also in our religion same uh, here. Um, education was very big in my family, both sides from my mother and father. Um, I do feel sometimes with my father even more. Um, and it's funny because my grandparents from my father's side, my grandma used to always, always say, you don't have to go to school. Um, she always would pull out my aunts out of school. <laughs> and at that time, it was very hard um, um, because there was a war, 1948, and um, the schools weren't as 
you know, available and good as now. Um, and she used to always tell my dad, you know, you don't have to go to school. You could just, you know, get a business and just continue with that. Um, but my grandfather on the opposite side, he would go crazy when she'd do that. <laughs> she, he always wanted us, uh, his kids to get education, and when we were around, he always emphasized on that. Um, so my, my dad and his brother, he only had one brother, continued education, my uncle's engineer, my dad's a math teacher. Um, so my dad did the same thing with us. He really wanted us to obtain our education. Um, he liked math more because it was his field. He would also look at my report card, and first thing he'd look at is math. If I did good in math, I'm good. Mm -hmm. If I did bad in math, I was bad, you know? Um, and he did influence me on um, getting my degree in mathematics, even though I fought it a lot, and I didn't really want to do that. But then uh, I ended up liking it on myself, you know, on my own when I got into college. Um, so yeah, from both sides, even my mom, you know, always encouraged it, um, and my father, it, and it, it feels great. It feels great, you know, obtaining that education, and like uh, Reem said, changing that mold, changing that image of Arab women, and showing what we can do. My parents were also encouraging, which is a good thing, um, <laughs> because uh, I, I don't think my mom realized when she did encourage me that I just wasn't going to stop and I was going <laughs> to end up working in education as well because I can't seem to get away from it. Um, but, you know, she did encourage me to, to continue on with my education um, and also try to encourage me staying as close to the house as possible. So I, I've, had, I've had a few students in my office that... Um, you know, wanted to explore, you know, what it would be like going somewhere else. And so I like having that conversation with the students because it, it took me a while to convince my parents to let me live, off, live uh, out of the house on campus for two years when I transferred from the community college, um, which was a, a wonder, wonderful experience to have, but literally had to prepare my mom for at least a year, basically saying, I'm going to be gone in a year, and I'm saying, no, you're not. I'm going to be gone in a year and continue to say, you know, this is what I'm doing, you know. Um, I think when I um, finally got through a couple semesters at NIU and my mom saw that I was getting a 4.0, that she was like, it's a good thing that you're living at NIU and not here because I don't think you'd be doing so well. And uh, that felt great that she understood how important it was to, you know, kind of have that freedom to decide this is my education and this is how I want to do it because I think everybody studies better under that um, under that understanding that it, that it's your responsibility to do well. Um, when I graduated from NIU and got a job at a university and continued on with my master's, I think she was overly thrilled because she called almost everybody on the planet to tell them <laughs> You know, so this is going to get to the MBA. <laughs> um, so it was really cute. It was almost, um, you know, worth it just just for her to be able to call the blood and you know <laughs> everybody else in the world and and tell them that. So yeah, it was good. Sunda said, "Call the blood." That means calling overseas <laughs> to the home country. Yeah. <laughs> um, so again, varying experiences. Um, we had some of our panelists that were able to move away for college. Suzanne and um, Sundas were both able to do that. Um, although my family um, encouraged an education, my mom didn't encourage me to move away, um, although I had the opportunities to. So um, staying close to home um, was really important um, at the time, and I'm thankful for that time with my mom now that she's in California and I live in Chicago and we're so far. 
I've realized that everything happens for a reason. So I'm thankful that I actually did stay close to home um, for school um, because I now have these years without her. So it's a good thing um, for me. So one of the things that I wanted to actually bring up is a couple of our panelists actually come from mixed heritage backgrounds. Um, they um, come from households where one parent is non-Arab. And so I wanted to actually ask um, Saha and Naveen to address this question um, about coming from a mixed heritage background. Um, how were you able to balance uh, both sides? As I mentioned before, Saha's mom is Italian, her father's Palestinian, and then Naveen's father is actually from Chechnya and her mother is from Palestine. So how did you balance or how do you balance both sides? I could say it was not easy um, many times, um, especially for me because I went back to Palestine, like I said, and I lived there most of um, my school years. Um, when I was there, I was always, I'd always feel as an outsider because when I was there, I was the daughter of the foreigner. That's how they address it. And then I come here, I'm the Arab. So that was kind of hard, especially when you're younger, growing up with that. When, you'll be, when I'm there, I would hear people say that. Um, it, it's disturbing, you know, because you feel like, you know, my mother has a name. She's not just a foreigner. Um, and then over here you come thinking, you know, it's a different atmosphere, but still you're still an outsider, you know. Um, but, you know, growing up and ha building my personality, I could overcome that. Um, that was probably the most difficult thing for me is when people look at you different, um, even though you're just a human being just like them. Um, but I could say that I... I was exposed more to the Arab culture than the Italian culture just because I lived over in Palestine um, and was raised over there. Um, but I did also have a relationship with my mother's family. I visited Italy, Italy many times and visited my grandparents. Um, and I still have that relationship with them till today. Um, and I always respected them and respected their traditions and beliefs, even though they had some traditions or differently. Um, even with my mother still today, she um, raised us as Muslims with my father. Um, but I, as growing up and becoming an adult myself, I respect her beliefs because my mother is not a convert. She's still a Christian. Um, so anytime there is any holiday, Christian holiday, um, I like to do something for her because of all that she did for us all those years, putting herself on a side and raising us as Muslims and concentrating on that. So it wasn't easy at times, but the, the older you get, you know, the easier it becomes because you build your own personality, you know what you want and how to deal with it. Um, I think for me it was uh, fairly the opposite. It wasn't too hard for me growing up with uh, two different um, cultures. Um, my mom is uh, Palestinian. She's, she comes from a very um, old-fashioned, traditional household. Um, the culture is so different than my dad's culture. My, my dad comes from Chechnya, which is uh, uh, in Russia. And um, he is a Muslim, but he's not Arab. And they have Arabs and, and, you know, Muslims, they have, you know, it's not the same thing, obviously, but, like, m his culture and my mom's culture was completely different. The weddings are so different. The, the food is different. My dad doesn't like Arab food. He's like, I don't understand it. You know, um, <laughs> his palate is a little bit more bland. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, it, 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 was a, it was easier for me to grow up with, with two cultures. I didn't understand, um, you know, growing up, I, I was never... I was always mistaken for someone with a Hispanic descent. I've never been told like, "Oh, you look Arabic." You know, being the, you know, I have a lighter skin color than my mom does. My mom is very, my beautiful mother is, is has a very dark skin color and um, dark chocolate eyes. My dad, on the other hand, has a really white skin, 
green eyes, black hair, does not look Arab at all. So, um, uh, I, uh, with that said, you know, when, when I would get those comments, I'm like, well, it, it kind of shifted me to try to figure out who who I was, and I I learned a lot about my mom's culture. I learned a lot about my dad's culture. You know, my dad was um, he's more cultural than religious. You know, um, people from Chechnya they're they embrace Islam as well, but they are more into they're more open-minded. They're you know not a lot of the women wear the scarf. You know, they're um, women you know study abroad. You know, they they have a lot of freedom. My mom's culture, you know, being from Palestine, they're more restricted. Um, so I got the best of both worlds, you know. That's why my mom was like, you know, stay home, don't go to school. You know, my dad's like, no, go, go to Europe, go study there. And I'm like, I don't know. So, um, <laughs> uh, you know, and I embrace both sides, and uh, I, I, uh, I'm truly blessed to come from uh, uh, two culturally different uh, families, and um, you learn to just appreciate more. Um, and uh, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much for sharing. People always find it intriguing to learn um, about different cultures when you're half Arab and how you balance both. So thanks for sharing. Um, I want to talk a little bit about uh, marriage traditions and our culture. And again, varying traditions depending on your family, your upbringing, um, what country you're from, um, the way that we celebrate may vary. Um, but regardless of being Muslim or Christian, many of our celebrations and marital traditions are very similar. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. Um, for anybody that wants to comment on their courtship um, with their husband, um, what was that period like? Um, what type of um, celebrate or what type of um, marital um, traditions um, were integrated, or was there specific celebrations that were integrated into um, the marriage aspect? So any of our panelists that want to comment on that. I was taught to always obey my husband and always call him yes master. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> Everybody's like, whoa. <laughs> just kidding. Anything else you want to say, Saha? <laughs> no, I totally don't have a relationship like that with my husband because if it was true, I probably won't be sitting here. <laughs> um, I just wanted to break the ice. Everybody was so, like, serious. <laughs> No, I actually met my husband through family and friends. Our families actually knew each other for over 40 years. Um, my parents knew his parents, but we never knew each other when we were younger. But it was interesting that how our parents knew each other so many years ago and then our faith was stand up together, um, even though we never met or knew each other um, when we were children. Um, some of the traditions that we have, uh, a lot of you know that are familiar with this, we have something called tulba that's really big in the Arab culture where it's uh, where the groom and his family visit the bride's family you know to formally and officially ask for the girl's hand and celebrate and they go wild dancing um, Dabka like um, Suzanne was saying is our folkloric um, dance um, that's one thing you'll see in every wedding um, even though I don't know how to do it we'll um, teach you we'll teach you don't yeah worry. my husband's been trying to teach me but he goes too fast for me um so yeah, so it's it's nice having you know that, and for me, um, being half Italian, um, it was nice being exposed to both cultures. Um, I've been only to like a couple Italian weddings because, like I said, all my family from my mother's side been in Italy, um, and I was growing up in Palestine. But then coming here, I have some relatives here, so I was able to attend a couple Italian weddings, which is very interesting to see. Um, it was totally different than ours because we dance all night and. 
that's all we do, where they socialize more, and, and that's pretty much what's gone. Um, but that's about it. Sundas, <laughs> I know that you have a little bit of a different experience. Um, she recently got married a few weeks ago, and um, can you tell us a little bit about how your family felt about you marrying um, an Irish guy from the south side of Chicago who was actually raised Catholic? Um, you probably have a little bit of a different experience, so why don't you share that with us? Um, well, I, I'm actually uh, pretty blessed because, um, you know, every day I think he proves to my parents that he was the right person for our family, which is awesome but um when i met my husband his name's colin mccarthy very very irish <laughs> colin patrick mccarthy um i did i didn't realize that god had set him on his path to islam which um is a, a, another blessing in disguise but um you know he's a, a guy that liked to ask a lot of questions and um <laughs> wouldn't leave me alone so <laughs> so uh when you know he when i started to realize that he was um very serious about that because um, I think when anybody uh, has ever approached me, I think the first thing I say is that I would never take a non-Muslim home. That's just my own personal opinion, you know, just because that's, you know, my family and my family is extremely, extremely important to me, um, especially my mom, and I would never want to hurt her. <laughs> but um, when I started to realize that he was serious, I started to think maybe this is something that could be. Um, and I introduced him to my parents before he even converted. Not really too far before he converted, but um, just to see how the interaction was going to take place. And my mom really liked his personality. Um, so we got to actually see him convert, which was one thing that I really wanted to do because I've never seen that happen before. And, um, you know, he kind of teared up a little bit when he did. So. I, I thought it was uh, an amazing experience for him. But then um, through the whole marriage process and my parents getting to know him and the opportunity for my mom to teach somebody new things that she, you know, likes to teach anybody. I mean, you grow up Muslim, you kind of are in the household. You maybe almost take certain things for granted or um, don't ask more questions than you really want to because you're like, oh, I get enough of this. I'm being forced to go to Sunday school. I'm, you know, being forced to learn Arabic. You know, I, I see a little, um, you know, some of the, the children and some, some families that I know that are like, oh, I don't want to go do this. I don't want to do the homework. But, you know, he asks a lot of questions and my mom gets a, you know, you know a, a feeling off of that. You know, she feels very blessed to be able to share this, you know, with him and share Islam with him. And so they're very accepting. She makes some coffee every morning, Arabi, <laughs> Arabic coffee every morning, because <laughs> uh, we stop over there. And, um, you know, it's uh, been an awesome experience so far, integrating the two. It's interesting on both sides, because I think what, what was very important for us, he's very um, close to his family as well. And it was also hard on the other end. His mom's very Catholic. And we just needed to make sure that we were sensitive all around in terms of incorporating our, our family members and including her in the wedding process and making her feel like she wasn't losing her son. And I think that that was a fear for her with him converting is that with him converting is that she was losing him. Mm -hmm. And I wanted her to see that there's so much more that, you know, we are all about family first and foremost, even though he's converting, you know, she's going to be a part of this too. Mm -hmm. so. 
Thank you. And for anyone that's met Colin and his mom, they're very sweet people, so you are indeed very blessed. Um, so we probably, I have other questions, but I'm going to actually make um, one more question to our, or propose one more question to our panelists. It'll be a combination question, and we're going to open that up um, to the audience. We can take a couple of questions to the audience, um, from the audience. So I just wanted to ask you all in closing if um, you can talk a little bit about um, which family traditions um, or um, cultural traditions you want to make sure that you maintain um, in the future for your children. You know, um, we're all first-generation Arab Americans here. Um, our parents were born overseas, and so I think for many of us, um, we've had to really make an extra effort to really um, hold on to our culture and our identity and many um, of our traditions we may or may not have actually learned on our own, maybe not from our families. And so what's important to you to hold on to and to actually pass down um, to your children in the future or other family members? So can you comment a little bit about that, please? Um, you know, I think... I think, you know, tradition and heritage can sometimes be a funny thing. Um, do I think it's important for us to preserve our heritage and our tradition? Absolutely. Um, I think sometimes it's a little bit more important for us considering the times that we live in and considering maybe who we are as individuals. As you can tell, we come from very different perspectives and we sometimes lead uh, different lifestyles. So I think it's even more important for us to sometimes take a step back and maybe dissect and maybe study some of those traditions and heritage um, that are viable and maybe some of those that maybe just we don't want to sustain anymore because they're just not working for us, right? So am I going to pass down certain traditions um, to my girls. Absolutely. I think it's very um, important. You know, I will speak to them in Arabic. I will have them go to Sunday or Saturday school and learn to read and write and learn about the history of their people and learn the Palestinian dances. Um, it's, it's very important to me. Like I said in my opening remark, I think if you don't, if you lose your identity, you lose a part of yourself. Um, when I think about this question, I'm reminded of something that um, Ben Gurion said. He was, for those of you that don't know, he was one of the first um, prime ministers of the state of Israel. And after the first um, ethnic cleansing campaign, he said, "The old will die, and the young will forget." And I refuse to let my children forget who they are and where they come from. I think the older that I get, the more I remember um, or the more that I, I learn about where uh, I come from and, and understanding, you know, Palestine and, you know, the issues that have happened and whatnot. And that's something that, like I said before, wasn't necessarily instilled in me. It was more the religion that was instilled in me as a younger age. And I want to make sure I keep both. Um, as equally as possible to um, to carry on, and I, I know in my in my when I do have kids, um, it'll be an an interesting mix to to be able to show them. You know, there are different cultures, and there's differences, and they're gonna have my kids will end up having you know two uh, grandmothers that come from different <laughs> different backgrounds, and I think um, understanding those backgrounds. Um, 
I don't I don't want mine to, to be the one that's the well I don't want either one to be lost but I, I, I would not do anything to, to lose that um, for me uh, on the religious aspect I mean I, I think I, I will always continue Ramadan and um, you know Colin did his for the first time this year and and it, he was very very successful um, complain less than my mother <laughs> so um, I, I think that the fact that you know, I, I have that partnership that is moving strong in terms of keeping those and him learning at the same time. I think I've learned more about my history with him learning about our history, you know, in terms of Palestine and the Middle East and, and all the things that have happened um, than I have growing up all together. And I think that that's an amazing thing. Um, so just uh, like Suzanne said, I mean, not losing that heritage uh, is an extremely important factor to me and not losing that connection with both sides of the family at the same time. Um, I also agree with uh, Suzanne about never forgetting. Um, that's why it's very important to embrace our culture and pass it down to our children and make sure they understand that. And that's one thing um, I really want to do and I want to make sure that the, teach them the language, the culture and everything and I hope um, I'll be able to succeed in doing that. You girls like to comment? Something really quick, you know, we have like certain traditions, and I don't think that anything, you know, we shouldn't forget who, where we come from, and our heritage, and also just really quickly, you know, a lot of the traditions that we have in our family is, you know, um, it's it's common in Arab in Muslim families that Fridays are our holiday, and it's a day off for our dads, you know, if they work, you know, everybody else gets Sundays off. We get Fridays off, and we always have a family breakfast. We go to our our prayers on Friday, the the necessary prayers that we do, and uh, it's it's one of those traditions that we probably that probably won't die in our family. You know, we we like togetherness and we like to keep the community alive, and uh, um, just being together and 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 holding that tradition alive, it really brings everybody together, and you should appreciate that. Very good, thank you. So um, we all know um, by now that maintaining culture and tradition is very important, and of course we've adopted many other traditions being born and raised in this country and our household as well maintaining our Arab culture and the language and the religion is also very valuable um, but also in my house maybe some of you can also relate um, watching Sunday football is very important my husband has already trained our children that they must love the bears the bulls and the socks um, so sports is very important and um, we'll probably of course like many of you maintain both Arab and American um, cultures um, as our children grow up. So I want to now open the floor to um, the audience, and we have time for a couple of questions. So is there anybody that has um, a general question for our any of our panelists or a specific question for a panelist? Go ahead and raise your hand. And none of these hands being raised makes our panelists very excited because, you know, <laughs> audience questions are always nerve-wracking. Anybody want to comment about their own experience? regardless if you're Arab or Arab-American. Yes, Fadi. Hi, everyone. Um, I just want to, it's not more like a comment, more as a statement that a lot of uh, American people think that there's just Arabian Muslim people. I was born and raised uh, Arabian Christian Catholic. So, like, what sometimes I, people need to understand that there's just not just one Arabic Muslim people. They all assume that all Arabic people are Muslim, which is kind of a take offense to myself because... I was born and raised Christian, so like how culture is so important for everyone here, I believe culture is important for me. And just thank you. Okay. 
Thank you very much, Patty. And I also want to recognize Ms. Mahasoy Stababna, who is our Arabic instructor here on campus. And um, we did ask her to be part of our panel, and her plate is so full up to the sky, um, she wasn't able to actually prepare and participate with us today. But um, a lot of you that have taken her class, of course, have learned a lot about the culture and as well. So, any other comments or questions? Yes, in the back. You have a question for Sunda? Okay. Hold on, let me bring the mic. Yeah, my question is that you said your husband converted after you, you met him. So, did he convert to Islam because of you, or he actually converted because he wanted to? He said, that's one thing that was really important to me. And when he um, expressed interest, and I told him that that, that was a condition in my home uh, for me to marry somebody, I also told him that I don't want somebody who's just going to go um, say the necessary things that they need to say to convert and um, think that that's enough and, because it's not enough for me. So um, I, I wasn't looking for somebody to convert just so that I can bring them home. I was looking for somebody um, who was going to be my partner in, in life and always that I was looking for as well, um, not just to appease my parents. So um, when, he, when, it, when that was discussed, he did go to a mosque all on his own, um, probably extremely intimidated, but um, went to a mosque for at least six months before um, he even converted because what was important to us was that he learned and understood before taking that step. Thank you. We have a question here. Yeah, um, I, it's more of like a statement also. Like everyone asks me what's the difference between you and the girl that wears the thing on her head. I just want to say like the thing on her head is called a hijab. <laughs> and then um, the fact that it's just your personal opinion or your personal like if you want to do it or not, there comes, a, there comes an age where like you should, but if you don't want to, you don't have to. So. Thank you. Any other comments or questions? Yes, Derek. Oh, you're, did you have a question? <laughs> Do you want to make a comment? <laughs> um, I just come from the, the military's perspective. Um, when I went overseas, I kind of got that um, uh, that deeper understanding of where uh, the Arab culture comes from, and um, it kind of helps that. I think kind of it's a, a factor that where people have to kind of like want to learn about different cultures and I think that's the, the biggest perspective that I got out of this whole thing that if you don't try to learn about other people then you will never understand them thank you very much we have a question over here or a comment Amal? this is more of a question I guess it's directed uh, towards Sundus and Suzanne you guys both went away to college and what advice would you give to you know, Muslim or Arab American girls trying to do the same thing. You know, it wasn't um, it wasn't easy for me, and I consider myself having been raised in a moderate to a fairly liberal household. Um, I initiated the conversation with my parents about going away to school and living on campus when I was an undergrad. You know, I started my educational journey here at Moraine, and um, after that, I wanted to go and um, go away to college. And my mom said, 
why would you want to leave the state of Illinois and go study somewhere else? You've got folks coming from all over, you know, different parts of the country to come study here because we've got the finest universities right here in Illinois. So why would you want to leave? And I thought, okay, how do I argue that, right? Um, and, and I couldn't at that time. I couldn't argue that. Um, so what happened was, you know, I completed my undergraduate degree. Um, I worked for a year in the field as a domestic violence advocate and counselor and uh, got a real feel for what it was like to be a social worker and decided that I wanted to continue um, and, and, and secure my master's degree in social work. And that's when I initiated the conversation again with my parents. And um, this time I, I, I wanted to go to the University of Michigan in Ann Arbor and um, study there. It was hard. The conversation's kind of like what Sunda said. You know, I had to prep them. I had to talk to them about why I wanted to go to the University of Michigan, uh, why it was so important to study at that school of social work, and what it would mean for me personally and, and, and as an individual, how that would help me evolve. So, and the trust was there, right? Uh, the trust between me and my parents were there. I don't think, you know, I never... Um, did anything to intentionally harm them um, in terms of breaking the trust, right? I mean, there are certain things as an Arab Muslim woman you're not allowed to do, and, um, you know, your parents look at that. So I think the trust was there. Uh, we had developed a different kind of relationship, and so it made it easier for me after undergrad and after working for, uh, for a year in the field. I think my parents see me, see me in a different light, and so that helped pave the way, but there was a lot of legwork, a lot of Groundwork, a lot of conversations, a lot of back and forth. Um, but like Sundas, I mean, I can't tell you how proud my parents are until this day. Um, now they're encouraging me to go on and get my Ph.D. And my husband, you know, when the postcards come in the mail for an open house or to learn more about a doctoral program, I mean, he, like, puts it on my nightstand and says, you can do it, go for it. Or he'll take the postcard on the kitchen cabinets and says, when are you going to actually go for this, right? So education was always important. Um, but maybe not always going away to college, um, but it, it did take some legwork. And I don't know how, how you would initiate that conversation with your parents. Like I said, I grew up in a fairly moderate to a liberal household. So was it difficult? Yes, but maybe not as difficult as, as some of the other um, experiences you might be having based on where your parents are and their mind frame. I grew up in a pretty strict household, <laughs> so um, my experience was a little different, but um, I'm the youngest of three children, and um, the, the, probably the only one that was um, willing to pay for as much as I could on my own, and my older sister, who was the firstborn, didn't go to college, uh, so they weren't, so this was going to be something new for them. My brother went, who was the middle. And um, I went right after my studies at a community college. I was going for my undergraduate, getting my bachelor's degree at NIU. Initiating that conversation, um, I tried to have a normal conversation at first. <laughs> I did. <laughs> Seriously, we all tried to. Um, and, you know, you get a, you get a bunch of no's. Um, no, um, and maybe a whole lot of other words after it, but, <laughs> it's, but it starts with no. Um, until after a while, I'm kind of like, it's going to happen because it needs to for me. I knew it needed to for me. And so just kind of more, you know, I don't, I don't want to put anything in anybody's head, but I was just warning them that it was going to happen <laughs> down the road. It was going to happen, and I needed their support. It's going to happen. I need your support. It's going to happen. But literally for a year, yeah. I was doing it um, because I... 
didn't want them to freak out when it came to the day, and they did a little bit. They're going to. Um, but I think it comes down to um, that, you know, that making them proud, prove yourself. Uh, if you if you get it, prove yourself because you want to make sure that they uh, feel like they made the right choice by letting you go because that's what they think at that time. They don't want to admit that you, um, you know, fought them into it, um, but make, make them proud. Yeah. For those of you in the audience that aren't of Arab descent, and I think this also goes for Arab Christians, not just Arab Muslims, right? It's pretty common practice um, for both the uh, males and the females in the family to live at home until they are married. <laughs> so this concept of going away to school doesn't really exist. <laughs> okay, right? And, and some of you are nodding your head like you get that, right? But I, I'm seeing it now, I'm hearing it more, that it actually is becoming more of a common practice. And I'm happy to hear that because going away to school really, um, it, it truly is a, it's a great experience. Yeah, um, like I was going to add to that, um, it's not just with the girls that our parents, you know, sometimes don't like the fact, like, yeah. you know, saying of going away. Like, even my brother wanted to go away to school, and my family really didn't want that. Just because just because they wanted him to be close, you know, to be able to see him, and I'll be away. My, my parents only have two boys, so they didn't want him to go away for school. So it's not just with the girls. Sometimes it could be with the boys, too. Thank you. And many times we have parents that one sibling, it's okay. I was one of seven children. I did have one sister that went away for college, but... I was the baby, and again, my mom was very overprotective, and I think it's that overprotectiveness that many of our parents have, again, not only for the girls, but the boys, and there's this, you know, sense of, you know, um, keeping the family together and, you know, not separating, and not only do we stay at home many times until marriage, but sometimes extended family lives with us, and we take care of extended family, so to break that is sometimes very challenging um, for the family, whether it be to move away um, for college or other circumstances. So um, I do want to say thank you so much to our panelists for participating today, Reem, Deanna, Soha, Sundas, and Suzanne. And I also want to thank uh, Moraine Valley and the library for providing this forum for us to have such discussions, um, not only about Arab women, but there's also been panelists here before talking about African-American culture, and we had a men's panel before talking about African-American men. Um, and so this is um, great that we have this type of dialogue, and I hope that it continues here on campus. And please, to our students, keep an open mind. Feel free to ask um, us any more questions you have after we break today. Ask your fellow students questions um, instead of, you know, sometimes a lot of us, not only our students, but many of us judge each other and judge within our own communities as well. Um, so take advantage of being on a college campus, educate each other, and encourage understanding. Thank you for coming today. Thank you. Thanks for listening to this Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.